All right. Uh, welcome, everybody. Welcome, committee members and all those attending this meeting of the Water Committee of the City of Sacramento here on February 8th. Um, Madam Clerk, will you please call roll to establish a quorum? Councilmember Valenzuela? Here. Councilmember Vang? Here. And Chair Harris? I am present. Uh, for the record, I'm going to reorder uh, the agenda today so that people who are in attendance can uh, leave after they've made their presentation. So we're going to start with item four first, then go to item three, then number one, then number two. And that's really for the convenience of the presenters. That being said, um, Committee Member Valenzuela, would you mind reading the land acknowledgement and leading us in the pledge? Absolutely. Let me pull it up here because I just moved my screens. <laughs> oh, Mindy. Oh. There we go. Thank you. Now, if you please rise for the opening acknowledgement in honor of Sacramento's indigenous people and tribal lands. To the original people of this land, the Nisenan people, the Southern Maidu Valley and Plain Pinwalk, Patlin Wintu peoples, and the people of the Wilton Rancheria, Sacramento's only federally recognized tribe, may we acknowledge and honor the native people who came before us and still walk beside us today on these ancestral lands by choosing to gather together today in the active practice of acknowledgement and appreciation for Sacramento's indigenous people's history, contributions, and lives. Thank you. And now for the pledge, please salute. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Katie. Appreciate that. Um, Madam Clerk, do you have any um, announcements or shall we dive into the agenda? Mindy, are you still there? Yes, sir. I apologize. <laughs> no worries. Uh, so you have no special announcements. We can go ahead and start the agenda. That's correct. Thank you, Chair. All right. We'd like to start then with the Central Valley Flood Protection Plan, a, an update and oral report. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Mary Jimenez. Is my sound working okay? It's working great, uh, Mary. Welcome and thank you for coming to share this report with us because it's a pretty important one. Thank you very much, uh, Chair Harris and, and everyone. Uh, thanks for very much for having us today. My name is Mary Jimenez. I'm with the Department of Water Resources. Pleased to be here this afternoon with my colleagues from the Central Valley Flood Protection Board, uh, Ms. Ruth Darling, who is their staff lead and Vice President Jane Dolan, who you'll hear from shortly as well. Um, so we just have a brief PowerPoint to share with you today to give you a briefing on our development of this flood plan update. And we do want to leave a little bit of time at the end for your questions and comments if we can. Um, but that's what we've come prepared to share today. Um, so again, my name is Mary Jimenez. I am the program lead from DWR on development of the flood plan update. 
Uh, Ruth, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, thank you, Mary. Hello, all. my name is Ruth Darling. I'm a program manager with the Central Valley Flood Protection Board. And as Mary stated, uh, I'm also the lead on the Central Valley Flood Protection Plan uh, for the Central Valley Flood Protection Board. And with me today is our vice president, uh, Ms. Jane Dolan. And I believe she's having audio issues. Jane, correct me if I'm wrong, but I did just receive a text that said she's unable to connect to audio. Although I may be wrong. Yeah, this is Jane Dolan. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, I fixed it. Okay. I'll turn it back over to you, Mary. Thank you. All right, thank you very much. So as I begin today, I just wanted to mention that the overview of the flood plan we're providing today is of the working draft uh, that we prepared last fall, actually, and distributed broadly to our closely involved state, federal, and local agency partners and other public interests back in October. So as of now, as you know, early February, uh, we're deep into the process of revising that draft to address the broad feedback that we received from that review process. So although what I'm sharing today is the latest I can share right now, I did want to let you know that you can expect some good refinements to this content in the next couple months as we complete production of our public draft uh, by the end of March. So um, hoping this still provides a good meaningful feed, uh, opportunity to give you a preview and look forward to your continued uh, feedback and input going forward. Uh, next slide, please. So beginning with what the Central Valley Flood Protection Plan is, it is the state's programmatic vision for improving flood risk management in the Central Valley. So as a programmatic vision type document, it is descriptive. It is not meant to be decisional on, on specific uh, projects with regards to funding or permitting. It prioritizes a state investment in flood management over the next three decades. So it is flood focused and it is long range. And in the context of a multi-benefit flood plan and it promotes multi-benefit projects as part of that uh, approach and promotes integrating and improving ecosystem functions associated specifically with flood risk reduction projects. Next slide, please. And so regional flood management planning has been a critical and important part of our flood plan development process uh, since prior to 2017 and now again, moving towards our 2022 update. The lower Sacramento River Delta North region, which encompasses a broad part of Sacramento is a valued uh, collaborative forum and partners for us at the state as we're developing this plan. Um, the regional flood management plans, um, planning groups throughout the Central Valley, including Lower Sacramento River Delta North, produced a series of white papers uh, for the state to inform development of this plan. And the input that they provided was focused around the three themes that we've been developing over the last several years, uh, supported by a bulk of, of the work underneath it. And that is around climate resilience and promoting a more climate resilient flood management system in the Central Valley, tracking performance, implementation and outcomes. And this is really just telling the story of where have we had accomplishments, where have we made investments and what are we getting from those investments? And then strengthening integration and alignment between the Central Valley Flood Protection Plan and the state's flood management programs and other related water management efforts in the Valley because we all know, and uh, this is the Water Commission, how complex water management is in California and in our valley in particular. Next slide, please. And so the 2022 update is the second update to the Central Valley Flood Protection Plan. The foundational plan in 2012 
the update in 2017. And so we're building upon that deep body of information um, informed by some new information that we have. As I mentioned, we're assessing progress in implementation and effectiveness of state investments from the previous cycle. So the previous cycle for the flood plan means really the focus on the last five years. So since 2017, uh, where are we making progress and, and how effective are those investments? All of this be, is being used to identify updated investment needs and recommendations to continue implementation of our plan over the next 30 years. The state system-wide investment approach that is foundational to the CVFPP is adapting with the planning process with each update as complex variables are gradually better understood, uh, such as climate change and any and notable changes in, in flood management related policies. Next slide, please. And so the, the working draft uh, last fall began with the introductory chapter, chapter one. It introduced the three themes that I mentioned. Um, it reinforced that the 2022 update is consistent with those previous plans. It's not a new plan. Um, so if you have that background from 2012 and 2017, it's still very relevant. Um, we are, again, reporting on tracking performance of our planned investments and updating the state system-wide investment approach to continue to provide a portfolio of actions that is reasonable, balanced, and ultimately cost-effective for the state of California. Uh, the introduction recognizes that climate change is a major driver of flood risk in the Central Valley, um, and that we're learning more about that with each update. It also um, notes that note, it notes that flood risk remains high throughout the flood system, and native species are continuing to decline, and that those very concerning trends are very much exacerbated by climate change and related factors. So really. Chapter one is part of that introduction need, you know, comes back with why it's so important for the state and our partners to invest in flood management in the Central Valley, and we can't let up. Next slide, please. And so chapter two then focuses on implementation progress. How are we doing? Where are the investments being made? And what are we getting from those investments? So chapter two does feature um, some photos and narrative descriptions of, of major accomplishments. Um, so, uh, several of which are, are around the Sacramento area are really nice highlights um, that if you take a look at our draft, we hope you'll appreciate and enjoy. Um, and we know that completed projects within each area of interest. And so in the Central Valley Flood Protection Plan, we do break up areas of interest uh, according to urban, small community, and rural areas of interest. Kind of noting that you know, the types of actions and the kinds of accomplishments you might achieve in each one of those areas can be somewhat different. Chapter two also features a description of what we're calling policy issue progress summaries. So the 2017 plan described uh, flood management policy issues that were affecting implementation of our plan and made recommendations to address them. So in 2022, we're simply saying, okay, we made those recommendations back then, how are we doing? And so it does have a narrative description of progress and then areas to guide continued conversations where we still have more work to do because these issues are very complex and challenging. The next slide, please. And chapter three then is the updated description of system-wide flood risk, uh, state and regional priorities for investment, portfolios of actions and outcomes that we expect from implementation of our plan over the long term. Uh, one uh, piece I wanted to note for for you as a Sacramento uh, folks in here is we do have a spotlight of the Ayola Bypass Cash Loop Multi-Benefit Program development effort that is being undertaken by the Ayola Bypass Cash Loop Partnership. 
So the, uh, the partnership of state, federal, and local partners with interest in the Yolo Bypass. And so there's a, there's a really nice spotlight of the ongoing efforts uh, to develop such a program in chapter three. It also includes an update of our policy issue recommendations for 2022 um, in chapter three. And those really are trying to emphasize a subset of recommendations now that would be of highest priority to address. We know that there's a whole universe of recommendations out there that could be undertaken, but we're really trying to narrow down on a high priority set that state, federal, local partners can collaborate to address in the next five years. And we have a draft of that in chapter three, the working draft. Next slide, please. And so, as I mentioned, updating the, the policy issue descriptions is an important part of this flood plan update. For people that are familiar with the 2017 flood plan, the uh, icons, the eight icons on the left of the slide are uh, carried over from the 2017 flood plan with some relatively modest updates. And so, there is a, co a continuous piece there. We are introducing two new policy issues in this update. Um, to be responsive to a lot of the, uh, the early and often feedback we've received from, from many partners in the last couple of years around equity and social justice and climate change and flood system resilience. So two very important topics to the state of California and to many of our partners as well. And so this 2022 update is introducing those issues and working on framing up um, new, uh, new uh, recommendations to address those issues as well. Next slide, please. And so chapter four is, is the concluding chapter, and it's also the primary location in our flood plan for our funding plan. So after talking about what are the problems, what kinds of actions do we need to take, what are the priorities, how do we pay for it? So chapter four in a snapshot is what's the costs, <laughs> what categories, and how do we pay for it? So um, one of the big takeaways from chapter four is that the total investment need uh, in, in central wide flood management is now at 25 to 30 billion dollars um, combined state federal and local contributions are needed over the next 30 years to make that happen um, that is increased from 17 to 21 billion that was estimated back in 2017 and that investment is broken up into ongoing and capital investment categories so ongoing investments, the, the annual uh, investments that state, federal, and local partners need to make in the flood system. So those are more routine in, in a million dollars per year type of metric. And then the capital are the one-time investments for, for major improvements that are needed. And so we have a detailed funding plan information in chapter four. Okay, next slide, please. And so we are working to release a public draft in the next couple of months, as I mentioned. Um, last month and, and working into February, we're undergoing briefings and reviews via the executives in DWR and with the flood board. And we are, uh, my team at DWR, myself, I'm planning to uh, brief the full Central Wide Flood Protection Board again at the regular business meeting at February 25th. And then we're working towards that late, a late March uh, planned uh, public release of the document itself and posting on our websites and so forth. So uh, coming up very soon, so really glad to be here today. We also have ongoing engagements such as the one uh, today with you all. Thank you so much for having us. We have ongoing tribal consultations with our tribal partners. Again, a, I really appreciated the introduction today and the land acknowledgement. Um, the tribal partners are very important to the Central Wildfire Protection Plan as well. And the, among the improvements we're looking to make in this update is to address many of their your concerns and priorities. 
So um, with that, with the release of the public draft, we will be providing a comment tool, or you know, probably an Excel spreadsheet type of document as a format for people to provide their public comments to DWR and the full board. Next slide, please. And this is just a visual um, of our schedule where we're at right now. And so as, as you can see, the upcoming public draft release of the flood plan, we have public drafts of our of three of our main supporting documents also shown on the slide, the conservation strategy update, flood system status report, state plan of flood control descriptive documents, very important documents. And so as we go to produce a public draft at the end of March, that then begins the board's um, the board-led process for a public review. And so I wanted to see if uh, Ruth was able to, to cover that part now. Thank you. Ruth, are you there? Ruth is joining us now. Oh, thank you. Hi, Mary, thank you. Sorry for the delay, I was being promoted to a panelist. So um, the Central Valley Flood Protection Act of 2008 uh, uh, stated that the Department of Water Resources would prepare the Central Valley Flood Protection Plan and the Central Valley Flood Protection Board would adopt the plan. Um, that's That also stated that uh, two at least two public hearings shall be held. So one uh, public hearing in the Sacramento Basin and one public hearing in the San Joaquin Basin. And so um, given the climate with uh, COVID-19 right now, we are planning on for one in-person hearing planned um, in the Sacramento region, as well as one in-person planned in the San Joaquin region. We are still waiting on in-person meeting guidance from the governor for that, but that would be um, about three, three to four weeks after the draft is released to give folks time to review the working draft of the document. Um, and we will also be holding one virtual public hearing. So we will be posting that on our website. There will also be an email blast that is sent out um, that will have these public hearing information um, and links to websites where folks can find out about the meeting and the, the links and also the venues of where we, we will be holding them. And so in addition, the flood board also uh, carries out the comment uh, process. So uh, with a 60 day comment period, uh, we will be also hosting workshops after that comment period commences um, in order to sort of workshop through the comments that have been received on the public draft. Um, and so that will be through the board's uh, workshops and those are usually held in the middle of the month. Again, all of those will be posted on our website. And so, um, and then we will be able to um, consider those comments and then make revisions for the final draft of the Central Valley Flood Protection Plan. And that's all I have for the public review process on the CVFPP. All right, thank you. Thank you both, Ruth and um, Mary, for the presentation. Committee members, do you have any questions or comments? Not at this time, Chair. Thank you. Thank you for the update. I'm looking forward to reading the full, the full report when it's released. 
Yeah, it should be an interesting document. Um, I do have a couple of comments just really for my committee um, colleagues here. Uh, the Yellow Bypass Cash Loop Partnership is really fundamental, uh, I think, to this plan. I've been SAFCA's representative on the, on the partnership since it was conceived a few years ago, but uh, it, it's kind of stalled at the moment. So Rick Johnson from SAFCA has been working very hard to secure federal funding to make the partnership really take flight. It's an important piece of the puzzle and uh, I look forward to it coming to fruition. In the, in the first precursory meetings that we had, it was a wide array of participants. But what we know is that the Yolo Bypass is really critical to flood protection for our region, certainly. And how it's managed is key to many components, agriculture, flood safety, environmental management. It, it's really a complex system. And we're altering that system uh, even now with some of the projects that SAFCA is affecting. And then the other comment I had, 25 to $35 billion, uh, you know, for, for um, projects is, is a tremendous sum. To put it in context, SAFCA, in the years that I've been on the board, has secured $1.8 billion to build all the flood projects that you see going on now in the Sacramento East Levy, Mendotomas Basin Levy Improvement Project, Common Features Projects. So we're, you know, we've done the Elkhorn, um, the Elkhorn Levy uh, setback project, and we're widening the Sacramento Weir and bypass, strengthening our levees with slurry walls, doing bank protection, uh, slope flattening. Uh, we've got a lot going on to, to improve the flood protection for Sacramento. But when you look at the entire Northern California system, you can see how much money it really takes for capital projects. And um, it's, it's always a heavy lift, but at this particular juncture, I'd say we're doing pretty well, certainly in the Sacramento area. So anyway, uh, I look forward to the release of the working draft and um, look forward to commenting on it and maybe even showing up at the flood board uh, to make some comments. Thanks so very much for your presentation. Thank you, Chairman Harris. And I did notice that uh, Vice President Dolan has her hand raised. I wanted to see oh, if great. she wanted to chime in. Thank you. Thank you for noticing that, Ruth. Mm -hmm. Jane, are you there? I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you fine. Yes, I uh, can't see my face, so probably that's good uh, from my perspective, <laughs> but not yours. So thank you for this time. Thank you for uh, allowing us to provide this uh, information. Uh, we know that we uh, spoke, you were part of the uh, SAFCA hearing, Councilmember Harris, but we're uh, happy to see Council, Council Members Vang and Valenzuela. Sorry about that. I'm just nervous because I couldn't get online quickly. Um, you know, as we approach the release of this next draft, this is the second update of this plan. The first one in uh, 2012 was the first ever plan of the whole of the Central Valley Flood Protection System. 
so we have been sort of up, upping our outreach to uh, local entities. And, you know, I'm a former county supervisor, so I completely understand that uh, local government is really where it's at. So we appreciate your time today. We just wanted to give you an overview. And as we uh, roll this draft is rolled out and we start the hearings, um, uh, after that, we, we hope to have your input. We certainly know we have your interest because there's a lot of work to do. So thank you very much for your time. All right, thank you, Jay. Much appreciated. Well, thanks again for the presentation. I think we'll move on to agenda item number three and uh, Mr. Jim Pfeiffer, who heads up the Regional Water Authority to talk about uh, uh, the Water Bank Project, which is really critical in our adaptation to climate change. Welcome, Jim. Thank you, Chair Harris, and thank you, members of the Water Committee. Um, glad, glad to uh, take the opportunity to speak to the Water Bank. Um, and I also want to, actually, I want to start by expressing a little gratitude before I get into a PowerPoint presentation. And uh, I want to uh, thank uh, uh, Chair Harris for his contributions on the RWA board. Been on the RWA, RWA board for a few years now. And uh, recently helped us out in a in a tour with uh, Assemblymember McCarty. I also want to express some gratitude to uh, Brett Ewart, now on our executive committee, uh, former chair of the Sacramento Groundwater Authority. And I should add that I'm the executive director of the RWA and the Sacramento Groundwater Authority. And we'll talk a little bit about the RWA in just a second. Um, Brett's contributions have been super in this region, and I just want to um, express again. Um, Gratitude to the city of to, to the city of Sacramento for allowing him to serve in that capacity. I also want to thank Michelle Carey, who was in that capacity as a member of the executive committee for a couple of years, Ann Sanger, who helps me out quite a bit, and I really appreciate Ann's contributions to the region. And lastly, Bill Busaith, um, who we rely on his continued support uh, at the RWA. So if you bear with me for just a second, I'm going to bring up a PowerPoint presentation. Can you make me a presenter? You are a presenter, you may share your screen. Thank you very much. Wondering, Anne, maybe you can help me out with this. There we go. Got it. Okay. Can you see the presentation? Not quite yet. Uh, there, we, there it comes. We got it, Jim. Okay. Thank you very much. So real quickly, I'm going to do an introduction to the RWA, what we're about before I get into the water bank. Our mission is to serve, represent, and align the interest of regional water providers and stakeholders for the purpose of improving water supply reliability, availability, quality, and affordability. We recently had a strategic plan uh, prepared or an update of the strategic plan in 2020 where we updated our mission. Um, the RWA, Joint Powers and Authority, established 20 years ago. We have 20 member agencies in the greater Sacramento region. The city of Yuba City is actually our newest member. Uh, so we have a good mix of, of cities, counties, and water districts. We have five associate members, including SAFA and SMUD, uh, in the regional sanitation district. 
The structure of the of the board is rather unique. It has two members per agency, usually an elected official and and an executive staff member. Uh, we talked a little bit earlier. Uh, that executive staff member is is Brett Ewart, and then uh, I touched on the strategic plan just a second ago. I also want to talk a little bit about what we do uh, and some of our successes. So we created something called a regional water reliability plan. Uh, we wanted to make sure that we could continue to uh, assist our members in droughts and other uh, uh, instances where we might have some things challenging water supply reliability. We do a little bit of advocacy. Um, we have a, a, a government affairs manager in our organization. Um, we uh, also have a, a, a services of a contract lobbyist. Uh, we do programs. Uh, one of our programs is a water use efficiency program, our longest uh, or oldest program, been in uh, uh, place for about 20 years, uh, very, very well received by our members. We assist our members with water transfers, uh, acquiring grants, and then lastly, um, we uh, lead by example in this region by organizing uh, the water agencies so we have a uh, speak with one voice. Um, I'll also just go over some, some lessons learned in, in our regional experience. Um, no matter how hard we may wish for it, the outside world is, is not gonna leave us alone. So we are uh, uh, need to, to understand that and understand where our place is and how we are part of the solution for solving California's water challenges. Um, the drought taught us that we can't ignore the Delta. We always need to be thinking about how uh, those, the Delta is impacted. And then lastly, um, it's important to build alliances and uh, they can be built when you have an asset to offer. And we actually do have an asset in our region, several assets. Moving on, um, some of our current initiatives include planning for the water bank. And again, I'm gonna talk about that in just a minute. Um, with We've been pretty successful with grants. We've, we've been able to achieve over $110 million or, re or receive $110 million in state grants for our members to build resilience and reliability. The city of Sacramento has been the beneficiary of a number of those grants. Um, we're participating in the water form negotiations. I understand this committee uh, received a presentation from my colleague, Jessica Law, uh, in the not too distant past. Uh, one of our uh, big initiatives now are getting more in, involved in federal water operations. And that's the operation of Folsom Reservoir, uh, key to the city's water reliability. Uh, again, touching on advocacy, we're stepping up. We now have the Federal Affairs Committee uh, at RWA. Uh, Ann Sanger is the chair of that committee. Um, quite a bit of state advocacy. Um, and we're also getting involved in some regulatory programs. We provide a great deal of information and education to our members. Um, something else I want to say, which is an SGA uh, initiative, is the Sacramento Groundwater Authority. That's the other organization that I'm uh, an executive director for. Manages the groundwater basin north of the American River to the county line. And we are implementing what's called our recently adopted groundwater sustainability plan. Moving to the water bank, uh, just a couple slides on this. I think... Uh, it's important to note that climate change is really gonna affect water supplies in the future. Um, you heard about that in the previous presentation. They're adapting to it. We're adapting to that on the water supply side too. 
one of the biggest challenges is our snow reservoir, our snowpack is going to disappear. We have some, uh, we're relying on some analysis developed by the U.S. Bureau of Reclamation and other entities, which uh, identifies that 75% of the snowpack will disappear in the future. That's going to reduce the effectiveness of our surface water facilities. You see here a surface water reservoir, that's Wilson Reservoir, one of the water supply important water supply features of our region, including for the city of Sacramento. But one of the ways that we can adapt to that is, is uh, increase our investments in groundwater capacity. And the city of Sacramento uh, has a number of groundwater assets. You'll see the relative scale of the groundwater basin to the surface water reservoir and the snowpack. Um, uh, within California, we probably have the ability to develop a, a trillion acre feet of, of, of groundwater capacity. This is kind of an important slide to demonstrate also because it, it talks about our success in, in what engineers like to call conjunctive use. Conjunctive use is the managing of surface water and groundwater. And what this graph shows on a time scale is uh, over time, the groundwater basin was in decline. It was, it was being used too much. It was, there were, it was being overpumped. And uh, uh, around the mid nineties, that was halted. Um, and then you see some recovery coming in after that. The city of Sacramento was one of the uh, important agencies in arresting that decline and now uh, resulting in the sustainability of the basin, you'll see that uh, the water levels were increasing. Um, we had a, a drought uh, uh, around 2014, 2015, and we saw that the after the drought, the basin was recovering. So these are investments that our members have made. Uh, again, the city of Sacramento uh, uh, expanded uh, surface water facilities, um, and that was resulted in many of our other agencies being able to utilize that surface water. It's not the only investment. We've made other investments in the region or our members have made other investments too to, to help with that. Um, this is really uh, uh, important to, to highlight though. Again, we have so much more capacity to store water in the future. And what we need to do is, is to adapt to climate change we're going to have less utility from our surface storage reservoirs, and we'll have to build the facilities to be able to store that water underground. We have great capacity to do so. Um, I want to leave a, you with a couple other thoughts, too, and that is an ask. Now, I'd like to see the entire region get behind uh, supporting the water bank. The city has been a supporter of the water bank and I really appreciate that. But it would really be helpful if we assemble the region's leaders in a way that, that ev everyone is pitching for. Um, we're gonna have water supply challenges as climate change takes place. Um, the, we're predicting that in the upper watershed, there'll be a six degrees rise in temperature, loss of snowpack, more of our water, uh, more of that, that runoff coming into Folsom Reservoir, the peak of that will be coming not in May as it historically has, but in March. And we need to put that water away someplace. 
So it would be really, really great if, if we could have the full uh, support of the region um, marshalling the resources that we need to invest in the water bank. And that is state and federal investment, state and federal investment. Uh, we'd love to, to be able to build the facilities um, for the city of Sacramento and the other members within the RWA um, with the assistance of state and federal partnerships, including financial assistance. I think this is really important and I wanna underscore another point. Um, many of you know that I worked at the city of Sacramento and I, I worked there from 2003 until about 2019 when I took this current job as the executive director of the RWA. Um, I recall in that time that the cost for the city of Sacramento to divert a, a, a acre foot of water or a gallon of water out of the river and deliver it to its customers taps rose over three times, yet the rate of inflation was only 50% over that time. And the city needed to do that to invest. I mean, they, they needed to respond to regulatory conditions, installing meters and other things to make the, the city uh, sustainable. And it was very much responsible for the city of Sacramento to do that. But the cost to adapting to climate change is going to uh, increase probably cost. And, um, it will be challenging for the ratepayers, and that's another reason why um, I would love to get the region support for encouraging state and federal investments in the water bank, which would be more groundwater wells, more pipelines, uh, facilities to divert surface water and, and treat it when surface water is available. Um, in times of drought, when surface water is not available, it would be groundwater wells and the like and be able to utilize that resource that we bank. And with that, I'm going to um, move on to the last slide. And that is my presentation and I'm available for questions. Thanks, Jim, appreciate that. Committee members, do you have any questions for Mr. Pfeiffer? Just over here furiously typing notes because that was some really great information. Will you, are your slides available anywhere if we ever wanted to share them with people? I, I, I will I will uh, make those slides available, Councilmember Valenzuela. Thank you. Yeah, here locally, we, we need pretty substantial investment in our wells. So the wells that we have north of the American River are pretty aged. Um, there are areas that are polluted, you know, uh, there's all kinds of chemicals, as you can imagine, subterranean. There's really a lot of science that goes into managing those plumes of contamination and how to retrieve water from the water bank uh, or basically, you know, our groundwater pumping. It's, it's a pretty amazing uh, amount of management and science that goes into it. And we really are lucky to have Brett Ewart on our team. Uh, he's a pretty fascinating guy with a real depth of knowledge about how, how to do conjunctive use and working with RWA. It's great to have him representing our city, uh, you know, on the groundwater authority and now with RWA. So I'm very happy about that. I, I had the pleasure of actually traveling up to the location of the sites reservoir with Brett. And, uh, we had a lot of time to talk about a lot of issues, but, um, yeah, great guy. And Jim, of course, you know, was our tried and true in the Department of Utilities for many years. 
and we're lucky to have him as, as director of RWA. So they're actively looking to adapt to climate change. We can store as much water underground in our North Basin or more, actually a lot more water than the Folsom Reservoir. So that puts it in perspective. Um, you know, we need to recharge the aquifer and there's lots of um, strategies to do so. Uh, I'm just really glad that we have a lot of um, very capable people working on this project. So Jim, pleasure to work with you as always. Thanks for your presentation. And uh, I guess we're good to go. So you are free to leave if you have to run off to your other uh, responsibilities. Thank you, committee members. And thank you, thank you, Chair Harris. I really appreciate this time. Um, looking forward to working with all of you. Yeah, you know, as time goes on, water issues are gonna become more and more prevalent at council. We, we are gonna have to make a lot of decisions moving forward. And uh, so you're setting the groundwork for it, Jim, and it's much appreciated. All righty, uh, our uh, next item will be Chair, a presentation. Of Chair, if I may, before we move on to the next item, I have a speaker on the last item. Oh, good. I, you know, I hadn't seen anybody on the uh, list here, but if we have public comment, that's great. I do, from Daphne. And Daphne, we're on item three. Hello, um, Water Committee. Thank you very much for allowing me to speak. Is it possible for us to also get copies of the presentation that we just saw? Presentations will be uploaded to the agenda after the meeting. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Did you have additional comments? No, ma'am. That was it. We just wanted to make sure we had. Thank you. I have no more speakers. Thank you, Daphne, and, and thank you, Mindy. Okay, Bill, take it away, Department of Utilities update. Okay, thanks, uh, Chair Harris and, uh, and members of the uh, Water Committee. I, um, this is gonna be a very short presentation, just uh, highlighting a couple of uh, things that we did last year, and then talking a little bit about uh, the SURA program. Um, go ahead, Ann. You went one, okay, there we go. And so um, just to highlight in our different divisions, um, our drinking water division last year, as always, and we, we take this for granted, uh, especially uh, we forget all the work that goes into um, delivering uh, water that, is, um, that meets and, and exceeds all federal requirements. Um, 31 billion uh, with a B gallons of water last year we treated. Um, some of the things that the public doesn't know is, is that we did that at times with very short staffing. Um, we've had our challenges with you know, uh, COVID sicknesses and with um, retirements and with folks you know, leaving for other opportunities. Um, but we've got a very, very capable uh, director in uh, Pravani Vandiar uh, and uh, uh, very capable superintendents that have kept the system running and, and kept it running well and easily, uh, even with some very uh, significant challenges this last year. Um, on the engineering services division, you know, a five-year project is now essentially uh, finished. We are essentially fully metered. There are 
a few here and there that we're still working on with some issues uh, that we need to get to get ironed out. But but we are essentially fully metered, and that program was a very very successful um, on uh, under budget and you know an on time program. Um, we completed as you as you all know the McKinley Vault uh, just in time for it to perform uh, wonderfully during a record storm event. Um, we also have completed the Third Street project, uh, which is going to, to uh, facilitate and, and uh, allow for the significant development that's going on in the rail yards. Uh, that was a, a, a wastewater um, line that was very, very challenging in, you know, in Third Street. We also now, just for your information, the, our, our conservation section is now actually under Brett Ewart in the engineering services uh, division. And we feel like that that's a, uh, given the fact that uh, it's very closely associated with water policy and water planning, we feel like that that's an excellent place for that, uh, for that section. Next slide. In the drainage division, so again, we've had our staffing challenges in the drainage division, but they still last year came through. Um, most, most people don't understand the effort that was you know, taken by the drainage and, and other, department, uh, other depart, uh, department utility staff during these large storm events in uh, October and then also in December to make sure that we didn't flood. Uh, we did have some flooding in a record storm event, uh, but not nearly, to be honest with you, what I expected. Uh, and at least part of that was due to the, you know, I'll, I'll call them heroic efforts of our uh, drainage staff and other staff in the, in the department. Um, the drainage uh, section is also, our drainage uh, division has also played a significant role in maintaining, managing uh, our um, unhoused encampments uh, in, the, in the city uh, as they have impacted our, uh, our critical facilities to um, clean and to maintain and to repair uh, damage and uh, um, impacts uh, from those encampments. Uh, Many, many sites, uh, I think we're up to uh, 30 sites or so now that have been carefully uh, posted and noticed working in, in close conjunction with uh, Bridget Dean's group uh, to make sure that uh, the uh, unhoused are offered services, um, that they are given time to relocate so that uh, again, critical cleanup, repairs, maintenance uh, can take place at our critical facilities. Just one other thing on the drainage, um, our drainage staff also provided the um, equipment operators for the very successful um, habitat restoration uh, that took place in September. Uh, near FEL in the uh, on the American River, and I know we had a couple of council members uh, that toured that with us, and appreciate your your attention and interest to that. Our business services division, uh, 
due to COVID, we had ex extraordinarily high volume of, of customer service needs. We, uh, they also managed this, the CERO program, the rate assistance program, and also have been working uh, with Ann's group and Sanger's group to apply for and receive over $3.1 million in um, uh, assistance, federal assistance to cover um, water, uh, water bill arrearages. Um, we are in the process right now of, of applying that money to our, those, those customers' bills. And uh, we now will be turning our attention to the wastewater um, as there is still funding in the program and we'll be doing a similar effort for the wastewater bills and arrearages. Um, lastly, go ahead, Ann. Lastly, we, um, per this committee's direction and council's direction, we will be at budget and audit on March 1st to talk about the rate assistance program structure and also funding. Um, assuming again that uh, council is going to desire that the new rate, the new rate adjustments, both in recycling and solid waste, and the drainage rate adjustment, if it passes, um, if those are to be included in the um, uh, SURA program, there's going to need to be budget adjustments uh, for that program, and uh, just to you know. A, we will be presenting also and reminding the, the uh, budget and audit committee that uh, in a, there will be additional funds going into the general fund, uh, which they could choose to um, uh, a portion of yeah, a, a portion of those funds towards the SURA program or dedicate a portion of those funds to funds to the SURA program should they desire should council desire. And then we'll be back uh, at budget and audit in April. And when we go in April, we should have a final understanding of whether the drainage rate adjustment uh, passed or not. And so we'll be able to have a final discussion about budget for the, uh, for the SERA program in FY23 and moving forward. So that's my presentation. Uh, I'm certainly uh, willing and, and able to answer any questions that you might have. Yeah, so Bill, just a comment. Uh, first, I'd like to thank committee member Vang for her help and participation in bringing the, the uh, drainage rate adjustment to the public's attention. Uh, we both attended a seminar, which I thought was very informative, but my thanks so much for caring and, and understanding how important these infrastructure improvements are. So do either of you have questions for Bill or any comments? Uh, yeah, mine. Your hand yeah, is just up. Just a quick comment. Um, just wanted to take this opportunity to publicly thank Bill and just our incredible staff, our DOU staff, just for all the hard work that y'all have done this past uh, two years to really keep our system running, even with all the challenges and with the pandemic. Um, and really looking forward to um, the city council budget hearing in spring to discuss how we're going to support the rate assistance program for our low income residents. But really just wanted to take this time to thank you, Bill, and just all of our staff that's watching now just for your for your heart and hustle and everything that you've done for our residents. So thank you so much, Bill. Thank you, council member. And I, as always, want to express my appreciation, our appreciation for this committee's significant support of all that we do in the department and, and input. Thank you very much. 
Yeah, you know, uh, committee members, if you haven't met Pravani Vandiar yet, you really need to, and you need to go see her lab at Fairbairn and understand uh, some of the water science that, that she does. A few years ago, we had quite a little controversy over a coagulant that was being used, uh, you know, to help purify our water. And it turned into quite a media storm. And Pravani was just, she was just a rock through the whole thing, explaining the science, explaining exactly what happened. Uh, you know, there was a little bit of histrionics, I would say, in the media about that. Uh, DOU has to deal with a lot of issues. I've seen many of them in the last seven years, but our staff is really very solid and our water quality is some of the best in the country. And the reason for that really is, is the people in DOU. So I agree with you, we have, we have a tremendous staff and we're about to hear our final presentation from one of those staff members who I alluded to earlier. Uh, uh, Brett, are you ready to go? Yeah, good afternoon, Chair Harris and uh, members of the Water Committee. Um, I do have a, a bit of a presentation. I also want to be respectful of your time too. So I think I may just hit just a couple of, couple of high points here for you today. Well, hold on a second, Brett. Um, Katie and Mai, are, are you in a rush? Because we can go past two o'clock by a few minutes. It's fine with me if you guys are willing to stay. Um, I have a 3.30, so I can stay until 3.30. Oh, well, no, I mean, we're talking about... I mean, I mean sorry, a 2.30. I have a 2.30, sorry. <laughs> we're, we're talking about maybe five minutes over. Oh, okay, yeah, that should be fine. That's fine, Chair, thank you. Yeah. Okay, so, so Brett, don't rush. All right, th thank, you. thank you, Chair Harris and members of the Water Committee. And first of all, uh, Chair, thank you for your kind comments earlier. I, I certainly appreciate that. Um, the, the intention today is really to provide this this committee with a, a short update on, you know, the hydrology conditions and, and some of the conservation activities or how the city has responded to the drought, which, um, you know, back, I think it was the last time we talked about this at water committee was about July. And subsequent to that city council adopted a resolution um, authorizing a, a stage two water alert. So we're taking, you know, proactive steps to reduce water consumption. So a term that I've been hearing all the time now, and I, I think it's a good one, is, is winter whiplash, right? Here we are last year, or the last time we talked about this, um, we were looking at, say, the driest couple of years on record. Uh, the soil moisture was incredibly low. Uh, you may recall hearing stories about with the wind coming up and dry soils, the snowpack just evaporated last year. And it was a difficult year, um, over 200 days with, with no measurable moisture. And then moving into this, this current water year, we typically measure water years. Everybody has their own scale. Uh, it starts in October. Um, and here we are. We step right into October with a historic rainfall event. Uh, Bill alluded to, you know, the completion of our McKinley Vault, and it, you know, it saved our bacon with a 500-year event. But December was equally impressive. Uh, we finished with some of the highest snowpack numbers on record for, for December, that is. Um, we, you know, the soil conditions are, are quite moist out there. In fact, as we, as we completed December, we were looking at flood control releases from Folsom. Um, you saw them go from 500 cubic feet per second, some would call that a trickle, um, up to say 5,000 cubic feet per second as they, as they kept room in that reservoir for, for flood releases. 
But here we are now, again, going to whiplash. Uh, this we've, we've essentially had the entirety of January has just been dry. Uh, really eroding some of those gains, not just locally, but as a state that were made in October and December. Uh, a few charts, um, you know, I'm an engineer by trade, so I, I can't help but look at charts. Um, this is a very typical one managed by the state of California. It really shows the, the cumulative snowpack. This, this is really an index of say, you know, eight different stations throughout the Northern Sierra. Um, starting on October 1st, you know, this, this sort of blue area just typically accumulates to about 50 inches a year in, in water throughout this region. The sort of dark black line down here, well, there's, there's last year, you know, a fraction, nearly half of the water supply that we would typically expect. So, you know, without troubling with all the other ones, say some of these wettest years or our driest year in the blue, right, you can see that incredible October event, right, where water, we were, it was a deluge, you know, what we might call an atmospheric river. And then again in December, a nice jump. Uh, but here we are, then it flatlines for the entire month. So here we are, you know, pacing well ahead of schedule as 2021 came to a close. And right now, I would say, in totality, it's about normal conditions for precipitation. Uh, short term, as we look out, no measurable precipitation on in the horizon. Of course, we're in the middle of our water season. You know, we'll have sometimes these things called these miracle March events where there'll be a lot. It's, it's really too soon to say. But the short of it is, you know, while we had a, a spectacular October and December, uh, we're certainly not out of the woods here. Uh, moving on to snowpack here, um, you know, December, of course, was, was record highs. Um, you even heard people starting to talk about drought. You know, what, what drought could you be talking about? Well, already, you know, it's melting pretty fast. Um, oh, the way to kind of look at this, when you see those 80% numbers, we are right now about 80% of normal for this time of year. So we've gone from record numbers to being a little bit below par for this time of year. You know, again, another chart, can't help myself. Um, this would represent uh, Folsom Lake storage, the amount of water that we have available for, for our region supply, plus the rest of the state. Of course, you know, Folsom is operated for, for a broad level of benefits all throughout the state for environmental benefits, uh, for, for farming and for, you know, cities and human use. A, a way to look at this is, you know, that reservoir peaks out around a million acre feet. You see that 977. Uh, again, that area curve would represent normal operations. Uh, the red line there, you know, you can see just how low Folsom got as it went through 2021, getting down close to 200,000 acre feet. And of course, here we are now. And you see those large jumps in supply. Um, Folsom is above normal at this time of year. And, and that's a great news story. Uh, you, you do see those flood control releases as we finished with December, you know, making room for that just in case sort of moment. Now they've reduced releases. Uh, right now, I think the focus point is the steelhead uh, habitat and making sure that we have sufficient flow for that species. The story though, I mean, that I, I really wanna make sure everyone understands here is while Folsom looks to be in above average condition, statewide, 
we're, we're not in really much better shape than we were last year. Uh, Folsom is actually below where it was last year. Or I'm sorry, Shasta. Shasta storage is below. Orville is increasing. That's a good news story. But if you were to add up all of these reservoirs throughout the state of California, again, similar to last year, this time of year, it, it really represents a little risk for Folsom. There will be pressure this year to make sure that Folsom is operated for statewide benefit. So while we see a nice chunk of storage there and some snowpack that will feed it, the Bureau will look to that reservoir to meet you know, the collective demands of the state. Uh, shifting quickly to some water shortage uh, numbers here and our efficiency efforts. Um, as, as you all know, in August, we moved into a stage two water watch uh, to encourage and, and help the city meet the state's goals for conservation uh, during this time of shortage. I got to throw up an array of numbers on there. You know, sh our, our reduction compared to 2020 ranged from about six to 22% as, as residents conserved water and, and were more thoughtful about the resource. Just this last month, there were some new regulations passed by the state of California, uh, really tending to wasteful water use habits. Uh, the good news for the city is that we already have those in our code. So we were already in compliance with, with what the state passed. Uh, this is a chart of, of our water misuse complaints, if you will. This would be a combination of of residents calling into 311 or, or our own city crews as they're, they're patrolling and entering this into our, our database. And, you know, it's very typical. You see a reduction in the winter and an increase in the summer. But what's striking here is, you know, once we entered into the drought, you can see over a 200% increase in the responsiveness or how our residents have engaged with you know water use misuse or water complaints and city crews you know are sort of consistently clearing those uh, as part of our normal business practice uh, i think water committee members i think you might have seen this before uh this is a uh, some some data a data source that we update on a regular basis the city continues uh, to be one of the most efficient water users in this region uh, this residential gallons per person per day. You know, we track it. Um, generally, it's the RWA. Uh, Jim Piper's staff uh, tracks this for, for all of the municipalities. And you can see that the city, you know, we, we compare it to 2019, which was the last big drought. There's essentially been, been no or very little rebound from then. We've maintained efficient water use habits. Um, we have stayed with our two-day week watering during, you know, the, the summer irrigation season. And it's really positioned the city to be, you know, a leader in, a, in, a, in water efficiency use habits. That, that really ends. I thought I would just leave you with, with a quote that just was in the SAC B, which is, you know, what you've heard today. The drought is not over at this point in time. Unless something changes dramatically, there's no formal recommendation for this committee, but you know we don't anticipate suggesting uh, you know backing off of our water efficiency habits. Certainly, um, we're still in the drought, and we need to meet um, you know the the state's needs and just continuing to assert you know leadership in, in water use. And with that, I'm happy to take questions.
Well, thank you, Brett. I appreciate that. Um, questions from committee members? Well, you guys are pretty silent today, so I'll, I'll carry the show here. First, an announcement. Our next meeting is May 24. Following that is August 9th. Um, I wanted to say a little bit about Sites Reservoir. As you guys know, I sit on the Joint Powers Authority for Sites. We had kind of a upper level committee meeting with the Assistant Secretary of the Interior the other day because uh, a lot of what we're doing is lobbying for federal money to get the reservoir built. As you know, it's an off-stream reservoir would handle about one and a half million acre feet. And again, a management tool in the Central Valley Project trying to create flows for farmers. As you know, 6,000 farmers were cut off from their water supply uh, this last year. And that's very significant considering that between the Sacramento and San Joaquin Valley, we produce 25% of the fresh fruits and vegetables for the entire country. So when we can't deliver uh, those gallons of water to our farmers, it has repercussions in our food chain. Pretty important piece, and that's why I'm so focused on the site's reservoir. Another thing I wanted to mention is, yes, we were blessed with an atmospheric river that really came right to our region, and we got a tremendous amount of snowpack. It wasn't true up by Shasta. And look at New Malonis Reservoir, San Luis Re Reservoir. When you look at the statewide inventory of water, we are in a drought. There's no doubt about it. And, you know, there's no predicting what the weather will bring anymore. It's, it's obviously been erratic for the last year. And all the climate scientists say that it will be more erratic moving into the future. That's why all these management tools like the water bank and sites reservoir are so very important to the statewide inventory. As Brett pointed out, and I think this is the most significant thing, I think, Brett, that you said, is that Folsom Reservoir is the workhorse of the Central Valley Project, and it can be drawn upon to meet deficits in other areas of the state. So while it looks like we're sitting pretty right now with our water supply, uh, we, we are part of the state. We're part of the statewide system, and Folsom Reservoir can be drained rather quickly when the needs of other parts of the state raise their head in, in a continued drought. So we need to keep that in mind. And that's why we work so closely with the Bureau of Reclamation about the management of the Folsom flows. Uh, just two more things. We've got a lot more resilience with the auxiliary spillway and now we're doing a Folsom Dam raise, which is really about creating more flood space which translates into the ability to retain more water for freshwater, surface water use and groundwater recharge. So a lot of people have put a lot of thought and a lot of hard work and money into these projects for the, for the exact reason of creating climate resilience. And we're doing good work. We need to keep it up. And um, I'll certainly be out there lobbying for money to keep, to keep it flowing to our region. Well, Brad, thanks so much for your time. I think that, uh, well, that certainly concludes our agenda. Any other comments by committee members? Katie, your hand is up. Yeah, for off-agenda comments, Chair. Oh, go ahead. 
Okay, cool. Thank you. Um, I wanted to bring to the committee a conversation that I started with Bill and his team this week about access to clean drinking water. Um, some of you may have been following, especially during the pandemic. At the beginning of the pandemic, we had a real crisis, especially with folks experiencing homelessness, not no longer being able to access water as they had done working with coffee shops or maybe open business buildings, et cetera, when the lockdown took effect. And then most recently, a county contract was allowed to lapse that delivered water to encampments. And we started getting some panic calls from folks saying, hey, we haven't gotten any water delivered um, and, and how do we access water? And this, I bring this up both from like just a human social justice perspective, but also from a water system perspective, because then what folks do as the water team knows is sometimes they'll go to hydrants or they'll go to other locations to try to tap in to get water um, so that they can have access to water. It's not just unhoused folks, but other folks as well. So I brought to Bill this idea of what would it look like for the city to establish some points across the city where you could access clean drinking water, you know, maybe through the park system, maybe through some other spot around town where you knew if you had access, you could get access to water and fill a jug or something like that. And the question was raised around how would we pay for that? Obviously, since with Prop 218, that's a ratepayer fund. Could it be justified through that? Would it need to be a general fund expenditure? Just starting to talk it through because I don't think this issue is going away. It's obviously not new. The pandemic just sort of highlighted the fact that some folks in our community struggle um, with accessing drinking water. So I wanted to let the committee know that we had had that conversation. I don't know, Bill, I know this was just last week, so you probably haven't had any chance to follow up on any of these things if you had any updates, but I'd love for us to talk about that maybe at our next meeting in May um, so we could um, kind of keep thinking through how we could ensure not just the protection of our system, but also obviously access to the drinking water. Hi, Bill. Hi, thanks council member. Uh, I haven't had a chance yet uh, but it's on my radar and I'm going to start uh, reaching out to, especially to uh, Mike Voss first uh, to have discussions about that. Thank you. Cool. Thank you. So yeah, I hope chair maybe at a future committee meeting when Bill and his team are ready, we could talk a little bit about that. Sure. It is a, a poignant issue. Of course, it ties into our response to homelessness generally. And so it uh, joins the broader conversation about how and where and when to do that kind of activity. But thanks for bringing it up. Um, seeing no further comments, I think that we can adjourn at uh, 210. Thank you for staying overtime, everybody.